We're featured in future endeavored, um, according to you. I guess maybe that's a reference to uh, progress, <laughs> the old endeavor shows. I don't know. Um, but uh, either way, Quentin, how are you doing this evening? I'm good. Um, was watching some basketball, some girl fashion Detroit Pistons versus Philadelphia 76ers, and I checked Twitter and I'm seeing all these releases going through. Uh, Popping up on the timeline. So, Tim, because you were busy and haven't been yeah. on the Twitter today. Yeah. Very uh, busy. Which actually, I'm going to run th- I don't know. Before we start, I just want I did want to mention this just because uh, I was busy today. 20 years, uh, nearly 20 years of being a union worker. Uh, I am going to be going on strike for the first time ever. So, very excited about that. Hell yeah. All right. So, that's what I've been busy with all day, basically, is... Uh, trying to look into as much of that as i can so i have not been online you know you're too busy in the real world yeah exactly as a worker um, <laughs> yeah all right okay so let me go through uh some of these releases that have happened so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm just gonna go through sean ross sapp's twitter uh twitter twitter page and i'm gonna give you some of these names are you ready tim i am ready all right so the first batch I have for you is Scarlet Bordeaux, Frankie Monet, and Ember Moon. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Frankie Monet literally Thoughts just on... got signed. Yes, okay. She's been on TV like twice. Uh, Jesus Christ. And then also Scarlet Bordeaux and Ember Moon. Yeah. So, I mean, whatever. Like, the ones that are crazy to me are the people who don't even fucking barely make it to TV and get released. And it's not like the football washouts. It's the, like you know wrestlers who were on the indies and shit that shit's nuts to me scarlet is insane because like why did they even keep carrying cross at this point then and to let her fucking go and ember moon is like i mean she's been really solid for them at all times she's she seemed like one of those ones who would just be in the background forever like that's nuts ah man okay. moving moving on all right moving on to to the next batch we have only Lord B Fab from Hit Row and Jesse Kamea. Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> okay, B Fab. I will admit I have really no no real understanding of who that is. Is that that's the that was the girl that was in Hit Row? 
Yes, it is. Okay, I have seen her very minimally. I kind of checked out of NXT at the point where she started even wrestling. Um, um, wait, who was the other one? Not Biff, Jesse Jesse Kamea. Jesse Kamea. Jesse Kamea. She's another one who I would have wouldn't have expected them to get rid of her because she seemed like she was at least working to get better and had a good look. So that's an odd one. And then Biff and fucking Busick. Literally, Biff fucking Busick is back, baby. <laughs> secretly the best wrestler on earth for the past like ten years or something. Like, you know, maybe like four years. Uh, but what the fuck, man? How long has he been in WWE? At least since twenty, like late twenty fifteen, early twenty sixteen. Jesus that bit, Christ! That, yeah, that that Biff PWG stuff was a long time ago. He came in around the same time that Callahan came in. Time has been really fucked up because of the pandemic, obviously. Because it's like when you hear about something that was in 2018, it feels like it was yesterday. At least it does to me. And then when you think about it, you're like, that's three fucking years ago. Um, Just because so little has happened in between. But Jesus Christ, man. He was there for nearly 10 years. I said 10 years as a joke. He's there for nearly 10 years at this point. Okay. All right. Let's move. Let's move. Let's move on. All right. We got... uh, Zeta, uh, Zeta, uh, uh, Ramier or Ramier, whatever. This is, sounds like a PC person. Uh, okay. Trey Baxter and Katrina Cortez and Jeet Rama. Okay. I do I know these people by different names. Who's Trey Baxter? That is the former Blake Christian. Holy shit. Another one that just got signed. Um, didn't he, did he win the thing, the top prospect? No, Carmelo Hayes won the top prospect. Yeah, Carmelo, Carmelo, Carmelo Hayes won that. It's not even top prospect. I'm thinking of fucking ROH. Um, it's, the, it's the same shit. <laughs> yeah, it's the same idea. It's, it's like it's, it's, it's the breakout thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is the Jeet? Was it Jeet here? Or who was the other one? Jeet, Jeet Rama. Rama? The, was the, he tall, one of the, the, the tall, tall Indian. He was the tall guy that was in the tag team? Yeah. Because um, they so just that, debuted the other guy with the last name now. Yeah, so that one's a little so that one's a little less eventful, but Trey but Trey Baxter, the former Blake Christian. That's okay. crazy. Now and honestly, hey, you know what I'm gonna say? That's a plus for GCW right now. He is a legitimate star for them. And like me and you may not love him, or the people that we you know we talk to may not love Blake Christian, but he's over for them. And he's a big deal for them. So him coming back, they need someone who could actually challenge for the championship and possibly win it. And uh, he's a guy that could. So, hey, that's a positive for GCW. Okay. Uh, now, I need you to be prepared for this next match. All right, I'm sitting down. Uh, Grand Metalik, okay. Lince Dorado, and Karrion Cross. Okay, there we go. That makes sense. All right. Well, you know, couldn't have happened to a better guy. We talked about it. Karrion Cross finessing the bag. We thought that this guy was going to basically be a, like a superstar for WWE for decades off of the bullshit that he pulled on the indies but uh, it did not work out because papa vince put his glasses on i guess maybe and uh and got rid of this fucking guy before triple h had the chance to make him into something um jesus christ all right so who else did you mention there grand metalik the former mascara dorado yeah, and lindsay dorado good... oh damn okay lindsay Do- lindsay i mean i don't know He's, uh, people will take him and he's, he, he's good, but like, ah, 
he was never like a big deal on the indies before he got signed. He was a guy that kind of made sense in WWE where they need someone like him. Um, obviously, Grand Metalik is fantastic. Um, Mascarita or Mascarito Sagrada coming back. Mascar Mas- Dorada. Dorada, yeah, coming back uh, is a big deal for Lucha for like you know New Japan possibly. Anyone, uh, anyone that gets him and lets him wrestle. <laughs> Yeah, basically, yeah. He would be awesome showing up in AEW. I mean, they just had fucking uh, Samurai Del Sol and uh, Aerostar show up. So, yeah, they could definitely use uh, Dorada. Okay, now, I'm going to give you these last, uh, what's it, four names. Are you ready, There's Sam? four more. Okay. Four more. Keith Lee, Harry Ooh. Smith, Mia Yim, Eva Marie. Huh. Harry Smith, another one, never made it on TV, like on this run. Fucking wild. Keith barely. Keith Bearcat Lee. That there was rumors going around that this, that Vince was very hands on with the Bearcat gimmick and all this. Uh, just out the door. Jesus. Keith, that's awesome. Honestly, Keith Lee is coming back to a, a wrestling landscape that has changed enough since he's been gone to where we can actually see him do something cool. Um. Pretty much anywhere. So that's kind of sick. Honestly, I'm, I'm really happy for Keith because he was, I mean, he is fantastic. And now he has a chance to be able to do what he can do on probably on major television. Uh, that's a that's definitely good news. Um, he's honestly the biggest signing. To me, he's the biggest one that if I'm AEW or any promotion, I'm signing instantly. Um, superstar potential, obviously. Well, I guess not. I guess not superstar potential, but... Major, I mean, like, actually, the literal definition of that. He has a lot of potential to be a star. Um, yeah, that's a that's a that's the biggest one, obviously. Mia Yim is also a good uh, would be a great addition to AEW's women's division as well, though. Um, but they're too fucking set on having the, the you know the 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 lowest of the low workers for their women on TV constantly, rather than the good workers. So I don't know. But uh, it would be nice. They they do have a, a few good workers, and Mia Yim would be added to that mix. And then uh, Eva Marie. <laughs> hey, whatever. Quick cup of coffee to, to get dew drop over. That's that's kind of a plus. Viper is someone who I think, uh, you know, hopefully that kind of introduction helps get her over somewhat. But her days might be numbered as well in WWE. But yeah, Eva Marie. Uh, it's, it's basically like a who cares kind of situation with her unfortunately i don't know about you oh i'm gonna, I'm gonna skip this one that's that's like nia Jax. you did not what the fuck oh yeah i skipped nia no Jax. no 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 what yeah nia Jax has been released how she's like the rock's cousin <laughs> she, she's released man that's okay you know what we need to look into is how many uh how many of these releases are q-pilled how many how many of these people is Vince getting rid of because they're fucking, you know, on on uh, 4chan too much or they're on uh, 8 Coon way too often? I guess it's not 8 Coon anymore, is it? Oh yeah, it is. Um yeah, how how much of it is uh how much of that is the issue here? Cuz Nia Nia is a weird one to be let go. She's been protected forever. She's got the connections, she's well liked. She's I guess fine. Like I won't say fine. She's a pretty good wrestler for what they need her for. What the fuck? That's weird. That's a very that's a very odd one. All right, so that is all of releases. Now is Nia the biggest name out of all of them? Is she the biggest name release? Um, I mean, if 
I guess Eva Marie. Yeah, I would say uh... from from like a pure, from I guess like an objective like commodity known in the outside of wrestling. I guess like Eva Marie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I'd say in the context of WWE, Nia Jackson. In the context of WWE, like it's either it's, it's either Nia or Keith Lee. Okay. Yeah, I'd say Nia just because she was on TV for a lot longer, um, and actually protected for a lot of it. So. Okay. That is so, pretty crazy. So, personally, the only ones that I'm interested like some of these are some of these guys are like are inevitable for AEW anyway. Sure. But the main ones I want in AEW, Keith Lee, Athena, and uh Mascara Dorada. Okay. Those are the main ones I want in AEW. I think Keith Lee in AEW is a perfect fit. I hope he gets his health situation uh figured out and everything and maybe like he takes some time off for that and, and like uh maybe he's not coming back to wrestling immediately we'll see but the three that i would most look for look towards adding if i was aew would be keith lee athena and mascara dorada yeah i could definitely i i agree with you on those three and i like i said i already mentioned it. i would add in mia yam i think that you know they need a lot they need better workers in the women's division in aew um so that would be one that I would go that if I was them I would go for. Um, like I said, I Blake Christian a good get for GCW to have him back, but honestly I wouldn't be shocked to see to have him showing up in AEW. I would expect that if I'm perfectly. I can, honest. I can see I can see Blake Christian as like more like a New Japan guy. Yeah, I was gonna say he'll show up in in New Japan. He was on New Japan Strong a little bit before he got signed and. And the fact that out they AEW didn't jump on Alex Zane makes me think that maybe they don't jump on someone like Blake Christian as well. Um, they don't really need more guys like that. If I'm if we're perfectly honest, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think AEW has shown good like self control when it's like they don't want to sign up a bunch of those guys who fill a similar role. They're like, we already have Dante Martin. We don't need a bunch of those guys. Yeah, and Dante Martin is clearly a major project for them now, which is awesome. So yeah, I think signing a bunch of other flyer guys is probably not, not in their uh, in their budget right now, or not in their their plans. So that's yeah, that's probably for the best. And Blake Christian definitely would be a good fit in for New Japan, but uh, new. I mean, who gives a fuck about New Japan at this point, right? I mean, do we <laughs> do we care? Does yeah. anyone care? Right, and I think that like most people like on paper like oh like Biff, I want to see Biff like but oh yeah. Personally, I want to see Biff just kind of like tour tour all over the place first, and like yeah. if he said if he settles down somewhere, then cool. Like I'm not gonna complain one bit about Biff and AEW if he gets to go out there and wrestle Daniel Garcia and Lee Moriarty and Brian Danielson. I'm not gonna complain. But personally, I want to go. I want Biff to like tour and travel a little bit before like he gets settled down with the company. And if he does sign with AEW or Impact or whatever. Again, I'm not going to complain. I, I just want to see Biff go out there and like have good matches because even if he had his fair share of really good matches in WWE, we got robbed of Biff's indie run, and I just well, I just want to see him travel a little bit before uh, before he before he does all that. Like uh, you know, get let me get Biff versus AJ Gray real quick, or Biff versus Brian Keith or whatever before um, Biff settles down somewhere. Oh, yeah, no, you know what I want is I want Biff kind of doing, and I hate to say this because I'm really happy with him doing it, but I think Biff should be in Alex Shelley's role right now. 
And I think that, totally. you know, he, he's a little bit younger, but he can be basically the top guy of the indies um, and just go all over the place having kick-ass matches because Alex Shelley's great and we've talked about it, love his matches, but, you know, this is going to be, maybe this will be spicy for some people and, and I have gotten in arguments here and there about Biff, but I think Biff is a better big match worker than Alex Shelley. And I think that Biff as a champion, I'm not saying directly that, but I'm saying the amount of, of credit that I've given Biff Busick in the past, people have questioned. I think Biff Busick is a better top guy, ace, champion, than Alex Shelley. And I think that we've seen it in like Beyond, when Biff was kind of the guy there. CZW Championship from Biff, that run was really good. So I think that Biff going around, winning titles, and being the top guy on the indies, basically doing the touring champion kind of gimmick that like someone like Zack Sabre Jr. did in the indies for a while, um, I think Biff would excel at that very well. So I would kind of do... That's kind of where I would love to see him do that. And that's why I say something similar to what Shelly is doing here. That said, you know, like, I love Shelly. I think he's having great matches right now. This is a phenomenal run, and it's really cool. But I think Biff is a little bit more suited to be kind of the ace of the indies. All right. Now, before we move on, I want to say a tweet that I saw that had a wonderful idea in it. I'm going to run by you because this is more your... Forte, your wheelhouse, your uh, your favorite stuff to, to uh, oh no, to, to think about. Nia Jackson Bloodsport. <laughs> Take it or leave. How do you feel? Need it or what is it? Uh, need it or keep it? Um, yeah. I'm gonna say that's a keep it for me. Nia Jax. What you don't you don't want Nia? Like, look, okay. Have you seen Nia Jax versus Ronda Rousey? I mean, people. Ah, uh, you know what? That's a good point. Come on, yeah. man. Yeah, she can pull it off. I was gonna say, like, people love to like talk about her. Oh, she's dangerous and she's sloppy and and she's a you know. But I don't think that she really is. And I don't know. I was thinking, kind of, would that really translate to a blood sport setting? But you're right. She could definitely hold her own in a in a scrap. Uh, the, the Rousey the Rousey match is a really good example of that. So I'm gonna say, yeah, you're right. You're right. I uh, okay. I. I shot from the hip on that, and I was wrong. Yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> oh, Marina Shafir versus uh, Nia Jax. There we go. Go on. There we go. Now we're, ta- now we're talking like, no, let's, let's do Zeta versus Nia Jax. Let's do it, man. Yes. Come on. You know, I think, I think, the, real, I think the real money here obviously lies in, uh, in Davey versus Nia Jax. Oh, I thought you were going to say Davey versus Karrion Cross. Um, that's the <laughs> Fuck, ma- that's the ma- I, I, don't, I don't ever want to see him again. That's the match the Indies are fucking di- begging for right now, but, buddy. Dude, Karrion Cross has his his run was so weird to the point where you almost, where you almost feel bad for him. Sure, <laughs> like it was so fucking strange. And it's undefeated, like, two time NXT champion, undefeated. His first like, loss comes on fucking WWE TV to Jeff Hardy. While he's like, still NXT yeah, champion. Yeah, in, in like three minutes. Yeah. This guy's career in WWE is fucking wild. <laughs> no, like, like when you look at Cross, you almost have to think, that, like, if the dude doesn't get injured when he first comes in, he probably doesn't get released right, right now, right? No, no. That's what I'm saying. Like if, on, if, on he do, if he doesn't get on. if he doesn't get injured his first title run, this, this probably isn't happening. <laughs> yeah. Because he probably comes through, shows up, on WWE, basically still undefeated. He's the champion, all this stuff. Um, I mean, it's probably somewhat similar, but I think he gets up to the top and is protected a little bit better. 
And yeah, I think eventually Vince gets over him or, or maybe he doesn't. Maybe they present him better to begin with. But yeah, definitely, I would say you're right that he probably does not end up getting released. And his he might be one of these guys right now who's just in the mid card who just doesn't get noticed, but doesn't get released. But yeah, I think uh, very, very weird. But I mean, he fucked himself up on that one. I mean, whatever, you know, it is what it is. Man, they, they have released so... They released so many fucking people in the last two years. Jesus oh, yeah. Christ. It's crazy. Okay, hold on. Let me try to go through every single 2021 name that's been released. Okay. So, Bobby Fish, Mercedes Martinez, Leon Ruff, Tyler Rust, Bronson Reed, Jake Atlas, uh, Ari Sterling, Kona Reeves, Zechariah Smith, Asher Hale, Giant Zangier, Stefan Smith, Desmond Troy, Bray Wyatt, Chase Parker, Matt Martell, Killian Dane, Marina Shafir, Arturo Ruas, Kurt Stallion, Sunil Singh, Samir Singh, uh, Lars Sullivan, Steve Cutler, Andrade, Billy Kay, Peyton Royce, Samoa Joe, Kalisto, Chelsea Green, Mickey James, Tucker, Bo Dallas, Mojo Raleigh, Wesley Blake, Jessamyn Duke, Kavita DeVee, Bronze, uh, uh, Vanessa Bourne, Skylar Story, Ezra, Ezra Judge, Alexander Wolf. Velveteen Dream, Braun Strowman, Lana, Buddy Murphy, Alistair Black, Ruby Riot, August Gray, Arya Davari, Tony Nese, Tyler Breeze, Fandango, Santana Garrett, Tino Sapatelli, Jesus. Nia Jax, Eva Marie, Mia Yim, Harry Smith, Keith Lee, Karrion Cross, Lindsay Dorado, Grand Metal League, Jeet Rama, Katrina Cortez, Trey Baxter, Zeta, uh, Zeta uh, Ramir, Jesse Kamea, B-Fab, Oni Lorcan, Ember Moon, Frankie Monet, Scarlett Bordeaux. That is one year. And it's insane that they had like it's how many people they were fucking signed. signed. <laughs> they shouldn't even have that many people signed. Jesus, that's if, like, and if I want and if I want to go through the twenty twenty names, like there's oh, no. so many fucking people that they that they released. Dude, this is this is crazy to think about. Like one that you mentioned that stood out to me is Samoa Joe cuz is is he back? He's not gone again, right? They didn't release him a second time yet. I I don't not yet. I don't think I don't think so, man. I don't think so, don't... but it's there's so many there that I forgot that it's hard for me to even remember, but I I'm like I don't think he got released a second time yet. Jeez. Oh, yeah. This is nuts. Um again, uh. <laughs> that was too many people. They definitely need to be releasing people. Some of them, it's crazy, but you know, whatever it is, what it is, they don't. The Samoa they Joe promo, anymore. where the Samoa Joe promo, where he relinqu- where he relinquished the title, was two months ago. Okay, so he might not have gotten released again, but who knows? Yeah, like we haven't seen that officially, but everybody, every, almost everyone thinks that Samoa Joe wasn't actually injured. It was just Vince and Bruce coming in, like, yeah, no, we're not doing this, right? And but then it's like, what are they doing with him? Are they going to let him go? Is he done? Does he want to retire? Do they not want to let him go? It's very odd. Yeah. Very odd. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, I don't. I assume he's not injured. Uh, like, I don't know. Very very weird. WWE is fucking nuts, man. Well, there's a lot of interesting, intriguing things. I guess continuing on here. I was just thinking about it today about like. What's AEW going to continue to do here? As they, because they sign people to contracts, but they almost feel similar to this idea of what the new ROH is going to be, where they like people can come and go, or is kind of how they should be, more like how wrestling used to be. But can you really do that when you have to sign people to contracts, right? Like, 
so what do they do is they like phase people out phase people down but then now you got so many so much more talent out there that's available you've already got way too many wrestlers really under contract like the aw roster is way too big even with two tv shows and two like the youtube shows um wrestling is getting weird man and we still got Bray Wyatt. When is he going to show up? You know, Bray Bray Wyatt and Braun Strowman out there. Yeah, just out around. in the wild. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't, like man, it's it's a lot. And like again, like I said, ideally people like scatter all over the place because like Impact has a pretty full roster. Yeah. Like MLW, like you know, are their contracts even real? Who knows? But like. Ideally, this builds up a better independent wrestling scene, but like, who knows? Like, we'll see. But like, wrestling is about to get very, very weird in the next like year or two. It's about to get strange. Yeah. Well, because you got to because you got to imagine the more of these guys get released. Oh yeah, there's gonna be more, more. I mean, because they still have way too many people, and as they as Vince takes over developmental more and more NXT 2.0 gets pared down, I'm sure. Um. They're just not going to keep, like, tons and tons of people. It's going to be very minimal how many people they really keep under contract there. Um, I honestly, you know, there's the talks about NXT TV. I honestly think that the, the probably the desire is for them to, you know, drop the TV show. I don't think that they really even want to be producing the NXT TV show. If anything, I honestly just had the thought pop in my head. But I think Vince probably wants to go back to the old developmental model where he just has places like OVW deep south fcw kind of you know contracted with him and he just kind of lets other people handle it and he's not as it's not as much of a direct connection thing which honestly in a weird way i think is probably better i think the nxt system has been a proven failure and i think one thing that people overlook because it's really easy to point at vince and say the problem is vince and uh and that's why that nobody gets over when, like, I think that a part of it, I'm not saying all of it, because Vince's booking and all that is not good, but part of it is, like, you're not meant to watch people develop on, t- on national television or think of them as connected to WWE. When, like, you would get OVW tapes of the OVW TV, but they these people were not meant to be on TV. Like, yeah, some people would get bummed. Like, I remember specifically something like the heartthrobs. Um, where they had like some really stupid ass gimmick for their entrance that people loved. And then when they came to WWE, they dropped it. They stopped doing it and people were really bummed out about it. But it's like on national TV, stupid little comedy gimmicks don't work. Um, but so when it's like a very small fraction of the fan base has seen that and cares about it, then it doesn't matter when they come up to main TV and they don't do that anymore. Um, so it's like, you know, whatever. But when it's like it's part of your main brand and it's thought of as the same thing, then like people do actually like hold it against the character that they're not being presented the way that they want them to. Like even think of someone like Santino Morella, Santino Morello, whatever. Um, he played a completely different character when he was in developmental than when he came up to TV. And if he was in NXT, everybody watching TV would have known the other character, which was a lot more serious. So I think that that's something that, like, honestly, I think we've seen at this point that the NXT model of presenting the developmental as a, a separate, like, mainstream brand doesn't work. And they need an actual developmental that's not considered part of WWE and is separate and is not being watched by basically, you know, a percentage, but a, lo- a much larger percentage of your mainstream audience. All right. Um... 
Are you ready to move, are you ready to move on? Like we have like a, a another like little bit of news, but like okay. Other than that, we can get we, like um, did you really want did you want to touch on the John the John Moxley uh going into rehab? I mean, it's it's part of our a, our overall AEW talk, so we can kind of talk about it, I guess, in in order of okay. in like the chronological order of things happening. Um, it works for me. Okay. Uh, All right. So let's just move on to AEW then. Sure. Yeah. So for us, the the AEW week starts out <laughs> on Rampage on uh, the 29th, I guess, last Friday. Um, basically, just one match from the Rampage that we care to talk about, which is Brian Danielson versus Eddie Kingston. Um, this match is getting tons and tons of praise, and I think rightfully deserves it. Um. I haven't really paid attention to what the, like, other than just people saying that they love it, I haven't heard much of people's, like, opinion on the match, right? Um, so I just, which I only mentioned that to say, like, I this is a match where I definitely could have seen a bunch of hyperbole from people talking about how, you know, this is a part of Kingston that we haven't seen ever, and oh, it's bringing out some special style from Kingston, but I'm like, no, I mean, before Kingston came into AEW, he was doing this in places like AIW and uh, ICW um aaw he's been you know bringing out some of the you know the the really tough hard-hitting violent style um but we got to see it here on mainstream aew against brian danielson who's the best wrestler uh i guess ever is that is that what we've landed on best wrestler ever um best wrestler ever and the best wrestler also going right now (laughs) yes concurrently the greatest of all time and currently the best uh that there is um, so yeah, so Kingston is phenomenal. Brian Danielson, amazing. Uh, yeah, it's it's very interesting because I did hear the comparison a little bit to Kenny, how Kenny Omega has this you know, chip on his shoulder that he always likes to wrestle other people's styles and or show that he can wrestle a bunch of different styles. Um, and it just feels so forced with Kenny, and you can just see it being forced. Um, whereas Danielson does the same thing, but he just does it naturally. And the reason why I think that it's so much more naturally for Danielson is that, like, Danielson has never had a style. Danielson is a all-around great wrestler. Like, people can argue and say whatever they want about him. Like, oh, he's, a, you know, a technical wrestler, is you know, a mat wrestler, whatever you want to say. He's, you know, but, like, you know, with doing the... Some high-flying, a little bit here, like, fast-paced stuff more. He's done some, like, he does some stuff, but he's not, like, a crazy flip guy. But he definitely does, has historically done dives and done, like, fast-paced stuff. But the fact that, like, he does every kind of technical wrestling, be it, like, you know, just old-school catch-as-catch-can, Lucha Libre-style grappling, um, British-style wrestling, you know, uh, Japanese and MMA-inspired type stuff, like... You can't really pigeonhole a Brian Danielson style. So when you say, like, oh, Brian Danielson, whoever he wrestles, he wrestles their kind of match. It's like, no, every kind of match is a Danielson kind of match. Like, there isn't a type of match to where I say that's not a Brian Danielson style of match. And even when I say high flying, it crosses my mind. Like, when he first started out as the American Dragon with the mask, he was kind of a high flyer. He was a lot more of a high flyer. So, yeah, there just there is not a... You know, the, oh, he, Danielson is wrestling the other guy's match. Like, no, Danielson is always wrestling a Danielson match. And it just, he can do everything. Um, 
So that was very, you know, that just, that really struck me when I was thinking about it. Because, you know, Kenny, oh, Kenny Omega wants to prove that he's the best in the world. So whoever he wrestles, he wants to wrestle their kind of match. And it's like, yeah, he, that, again, that feels like super forced when he's trying to do that stuff. And he, he actually really does kind of have a style that he's best in and he should stick to it. Whereas Danielson doesn't have a style. Danielson is just great at everything. Um, but yeah, Quentin, what are your thoughts? That's that was kind of my biggest takeaway here. Uh... Well, one, I thought, I, thought the, I thought the match was stellar. Um, I liked it more than the Dustin match. I'm not sure how you feel, but... Oh, 100%. This, this is, yeah, okay, this yeah, is like amazing. I, yeah, um, yeah. But I, I, love, I, love the in, I love the intensity here. Love the pace. Love how they start. Love how they, uh, how they started out with, like, uh, a lot of, like, Danielson toying, toying with him and then eventually Kingston cornering him and getting him with the chops and all that stuff. I loved everything about... Uh, the the struggle here and the intensity and this was like super super well worked and um I went four and a half on it I don't know how high you went but I went four and a half. That sounds about right. I have honestly really gotten out of the headspace of doing st- doing star ratings, but I could see myself. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Notice you're not really like a raider anymore. Yeah, I used to do it all the time, and, and I hate to say it, but there was a point where it started to feel forced, and I can still kind of do it, but I just don't. I just don't even think about it anymore. But honestly, I could see myself going like four and three quarter and and saying that this is, to me, to this point, Brian Danielson's best match in AEW. Um, I can totally totally see that. Yeah, like this was, everything about this was phenomenal. The one hiccup, uh, say, is uh, Kingston trying to do the um, Saito suplex into the, into the corner just doesn't work i don't like that spot uh maybe you can pull it off a little bit better in a different setting a different way but it didn't look good here um yeah but you know whatever (laughs) that is a very very small little nitpick to point out um otherwise this is like phenomenal and again it's just another another feather in the cap to say brian danielson uh greatest wrestler of all time greatest wrestler right now the most versatile wrestler ever um I don't think that there's anybody in the history of wrestling that could really do what Daniels can do uh, when it comes to basically drop him off anywhere, anytime, any promotion, any continent, any place in the planet, possibly in other worlds, other galaxies, definitely other universes. Um, and the guy instantly becomes the most over person in the company. Instantly, everybody in the building knows that this is the best wrestler in the company. Um, it's just... It's kind of infuriating in some ways because you still get the people who, who push back on Danielson. And it's just like, how? What planet are you on at this point that you can say anything but Danielson? Uh, yeah, this guy this guy is fucking amazing. And this is uh, just more proof of that. So then... Um, okay. Did you, so, sorry, so did you see the uh, the post-match where uh, Tony Schiavone is backstage interviewing yes. CM Punk? And then the aftermath of yes. <laughs> Kingston, like... Just real upset and takes whatever Punk is doing as like a slight towards him. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, and was like, don't fucking play with me. I know you. <laughs> like, you know, but like, you know better than to play with me. And Punk is just looking at him like, dude, like, what's like, what's wrong with you? And this is like this really awesome segment between two of the best promo guys in the company. And um, I guess if you want, if you want to like take that into um uh to dy- to dynamite for a little bit, then like we can uh we can do that. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, this is just more of this insane psychology from Kingston because this is like classic projection here. This is like 100%. You could tell the story that that is being presented. You can see it being teased here. Kingston, 
is here. He comes back here and he's pissed off for exactly the thing that I mentioned in the past about punk is that this punk that we've been seeing in AEW is smiley, happy, like I love wrestling. Oh my God. You know, this place is great. The, you know, the, the guy will do media appearances and shake hands and I'm just, Oh, this is so great. I'm a wrestler. And Kingston's like, no, 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 no. You're a fucking asshole. You're a piece of shit. Just like me. And I'm, you know, I've been playing nice guy, but I know deep down in my heart, I'm actually a piece of shit. And I know that you're a piece of shit. And it's making him upset because again, he's like projecting, he sees himself in punk, but he thinks that punk is being just as phony as himself because he's faking it, trying to be a nice guy when really he's an asshole. And like, uh, you know, theoretically you're supposed to think punk is authentic and he's just actually nice, but this is just Kingston basically seeing that reflected back at himself and getting pissed off because he knows like, I'm not really this nice guy and I'm actually really fucking a piece of shit and I'm ready to be a piece of shit. And you get the same stuff with the Moxley, you know, beating the fuck out of Preston Vance. And you can tell that they're going somewhere where these two guys are going to turn heel. Um, like that's what I, how I was seeing where it was going. Right. And you even get a tease of it when Moxley shows up on wrestling observer radio. I don't know if you listen to this interview, but they get into, what the fuck is going on with you in the ring? You feel like you're in this zone. Uh, Meltzer likes to compare it to Terry Funk, which I think is a pretty fair comparison. Um, that he's just in this other world where like, he's not Moxley anymore when he's in his matches. And they talk specifically about the Preston Vance match, which did you see the Preston Vance Moxley match? No, I didn't. Okay. This thing is fucking wild. I don't, you don't have to go back and watch it, especially now because the storyline is probably dead, but it was a fucking mugging. Like, Moxley comes out quick, just jumps him, beats the fuck out of him, busts open, busts him open, rips his mask, starts biting on his head. There's blood everywhere, puts him down with the uh, with the paradigm shift. It, it's just fucking brutal, and then leaves. And there's just blood everywhere. It's just a violent fucking mugging, right? Something the kind of thing you don't really see on national TV, obviously. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was gnarly. So it was like, clearly they're going somewhere and, and they ask him and he's like, oh, you know, I don't really want to give anything away, but yeah, I'm like, I'm getting in that zone. So clearly there was something going there with the storyline. Um, and then a couple days after that interview, it gets announced that Moxley will not be on Dynamite to wrestle Orange Cassidy because Moxley is going to inpatient alcohol. Re- Did they say substance abuse? I swear they said alcohol. Um, alcohol alcohol rehab um, which is a big fucking deal inpatient means like that they're concerned that your physical t- dependency is such that you it could be a ri- it'd be a very risky behavior for you to go off on your own at home um, so that means that like yeah his his drinking is definitely to a level where he's they're they're concerned about his physical dependency on alcohol um, which is pretty scary especially for alcohol because there's a lot of drugs that people get addicted to and you can kick yourself but alcohol is one of those ones that if you try to just quit cold turkey you literally can die um so yeah that's uh that's definitely scary he'll make it through especially because it's inpatient people don't die when they're receiving treatment and they go through like a sobering up from alcohol but if you try to just do it at home and you're that physically addicted you can die from it so that uh that is pretty scary yeah there's um obviously like the big thing is wanting to get, uh, wanting uh, John to get the help that he needs, and oh no, no matter how long that takes, to hopefully uh, John leave, leaves and is uh, and isn't a healthier mindset that isn't uh, dependent on alcohol and you know get, getting his body off um, off of his alcohol dependency. But 
I think you had a theory that you felt like this was gearing towards Kingston and Kingston and Moxley both turning heel. Yeah, I did. My kind of what I thought was going to happen here was just like how I said Kingston comes out of the match basically feeling embarrassed and pissed off and he's talking about Punk basically rubbing it in his face and that you know he can be oh you think you can be a good guy when I know it's fucking bullshit you're not a good guy, you know. And then I thought Moxley he's like on fire here and I honestly predicted, especially because of the leak, you know, the card leak, and people are saying, like, a lot of the stuff didn't seem like it changed that much, but there's been little tweaks here and there. I really thought that my prediction was, what I was thinking in my head was going to happen here, was there would be some kind of flash finish, some kind of, you know, cheeky kind of thing, and that Moxley would get upset by Orange Cassidy, and that would be the impetus for him to turn on Orange Cassidy, um... And for both of them to go heel, basically, and have a Moxley-Kingston heel tag team. And if you think about it, I mean, they kind of make sense uh, to challenge, like, the Lucha Brothers as babyfaces uh, to have a, the top guy heel tag team, basically. Um, it was really where I thought they were going. I, I figured then you can switch up the the match on the pay-per-view, have it be Brian versus Orange, uh, a unique matchup that I think would be really entertaining for people. Um, and it would be the best way to get the most heat on someone like Moxley uh, because the crowd loves Orange Cassidy and, you know, they love him getting these cheap little wins. And especially the way that he had kind of fluked his win over Will Hobbs, I really thought that that was the prediction. It's like Moxley's on this warpath. He's insanely violent and aggressive. Um, how pissed off would he be that with the way he's wrestling that some guy like Orange Cassidy is able to fluke a win off of him? Uh, but that's what, you know, Orange Cassidy does. So it kind of makes perfect sense. And that's really where I thought they were going. And I thought they were both going to turn heel. And we were going to end up with uh, just this. Because, I mean, that would be kind of the biggest heels in the company instantly. And you kind of need some heels, especially when you got something like Adam Page probably winning the title. Um, you've got heel tag team, or you've got babyface tag team champions at this point. So you could use a, a big time heel group of two guys. So that's where I, that was my, that was my prediction on where they were going. And I, and I could see that. And now, like, um, hopefully Kingston doesn't just get lost in the shuffle and they keep, like, feeding him and giving uh, giving him opportunities to do stuff. But you look at Dynamite, and, like, the biggest question is what were they going to do with John Moxley's spot? Um, you know, obviously we assumed that the uh, title eliminator final was going to be Brian Danielson versus John Moxley. It would have been a great match. But that spot got filled by Miro. And going into it, I was like, huh, I wanted Orange Cassidy to win. Because I was like, I think Orange Cassidy versus Brian Danielson would be a better match. Even though, you know, Miro's been great in AEW. I thought I was like, oh, like, I think I'd rather see Brian Danielson versus Orange Cassidy. But the match happens, and it's, it's really good. Uh, the main event of AEW goes short. It's just, uh, it's just sprint. It really gets it really gets across both guys well, and Miro looks like he's on this on on a warpath, and you know Miro wins, and I'm really interested to see what this Brian Danielson versus Miro match looks like, and you know we've seen Brian Danielson in a in a variety of situations so far in AEW. This is his first time facing a monster and a match that didn't really happen in WWE. You know, like like Miro versus Danielson didn't really happen in WWE. I'm not I can't. Name a Rusev versus Brian Dan- uh, Daniel Bryan match off the top of my head, and considering that I think Miro shown himself to be really good, and Danielson is just as good as ever, I'm really fascinated by how this match looks at full gear. Yeah, it looks like geez, they had very few, very few interactions, and 
they had one singles match in WWE. Money was in it, the bank. Was it televised? Was, was it televised? Was it a house show? Qualifying match, SmackDown, in May of 2018. That was the one time they had a singles match, and then everything else how, is how long? How long did it go? 14 minutes. It's like a 15 minute match here. So hey, there's mm, actually I'm there to, is actually something. I have to go. I have to go. I have to try to go look for that. All yeah, right. there is a gauntlet match on a SmackDown that was like a month later that they're both in, but I can't, you know, based on just looking at uh, cage match, I don't know if they ever interacted, right? Let me see if it has a breakdown. Uh, Yeah, no, they would not have interacted because the Miz defeats Brian Danielson and then that's when Rusev comes out. So... <laughs> Yeah, they uh, they had one time that they've ever been in a singles match, um, and then they had a bunch of tag team matches with Brian Danielson and Rowan versus uh, a mixture of Rusev and, and Shinsuke and the Usos. There was a bunch of like triple threats with them that were in mostly, it looks like, live shows. So yeah, that is the extent of their interaction, which is fucking weird when you think about it. Uh, so yeah, the... Uh, to me, this is a dream matchup. Or this is a not necessarily a dream matchup. This is a perfect matchup on paper, especially where both guys are. Uh, Rusev is fucking phenomenal at what he does. Is this big monster? Brian Danielson is a, a fucking phenomenal wrestler, and like the only thing that can come close to you know making sense or 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 giving him any chance, like any kind of difficulty, would be just how massive and dominant Rusev is. So. And Brian Danielson is so fucking good at working from underneath on a big monster like that. So, yeah, this is, on paper, this is a great, great matchup for me. Um, I I don't know if I'll say better than a Moxley match, necessarily, on paper. Um, would you would you, would you have preferred Brian versus Miro or Brian versus uh, Orange Cassidy? Well, that was what I was just going to say. I think maybe I would think the Orange match might be, might be better. Um, at least funner, for sure. I think that Danielson could definitely play with Orange Cassidy really well, and uh, and Cassidy obviously is a phenomenal in-ring wrestler as well. He's not just the gimmick. So, so yeah, I think I would have liked the Orange Cassidy match more, um, but the Rusev match I think is is going to be really fucking good, and I think you can play off the stuff with the neck because you have so many cool neck-based submission holds from from Danielson. Um, but yeah, from, from, from from I mean, from both from both of them too. Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. If they want if, if if they wanted to go there, they could talk about like the Danielson's neck and like how uh, Rusev's um clutch uh and how how much that'll be targeting uh, Danielson's yeah. neck. No, for sure, they can definitely go after that for for sure. Um, one thing I thought was crazy is coming into this, I was like, you could not have you could not have done this better. This could not have ended up better if it was. If you had done it on purpose, Rusev's finishing move with the game over and then Orange Cassidy having been playing up this rib injury, this back and rib injury coming into the match like that was perfect. Rusev being the big unstoppable, you know, monster, brute, whatever. Orange Cassidy being the, you know, the wily, sneaky, lovable kind of Bugs Bunny-esque, you know, cheeky character like this. This could have been booked to set up this way almost. It seems so perfect. So that was definitely a plus for them. That was maybe a happy accident, you know. Um, so yeah, that was that was definitely very very interesting the way that worked out. Um, 
so yeah, uh, coming off of that, um, so Dynamite, basically. We have not really talked about anything. Dynamite opened up with uh, Kenny Omega versus Alan Angels in a bullshit callback match that I think is just really goes to show the petty stupidness of Kenny Omega. Um, the worst parts of Kenny Omega's personality, if you ask me, the stuff where he lets these little things get at him, the stuff that, again, I've talked about in the past where I feel like his confidence and his ability to just be himself and be the reason why I've historically thought that he was a great wrestler is undermined by his his inability to just let this stuff go now that he's on a national level and now that he's not in a position where basically anybody who knows who he is only has positive things to say about him. Um, I think that historically, especially in Japan, he was very lucky but I, because I think a lot of his, his media and his coverage was pretty glowing because he was at a point where the only people who knew who he was were people that ended up liking him. He didn't have a lot of detractors. He had some, but not a ton. And now that he has a ton, it feels like he lets everything get under his skin. And this, I won't say that this match was bad, but I think that this match was way too much of that the biggest issues with Kenny Omega, that he can't just let things go. They have to bring this back and do, you know, oh, play off of the, the, the drama about this match. Oh, this match ruined my career. Like, that was, I don't know, I just I just don't need to see this pettiness from Kenny because it's it's really undermines, it really undermines him to me. But what did you think? I mean, I feel the same way. Like, this stupid, it doesn't really, it doesn't really do anything, like... If we wanted, like, Kenny to have, like, a match where he just beats a Dark Order member, then, like, I, I, I think, like, you could have did, like, Kenny, K- Kenny versus Stu or something. So, like, I, I, like, I don't, like, I don't know. Like, this is, it, this was, this was whatever. But then you get, like, Hangman coming out and Hangman getting to get the one up on, uh, on Kenny, uh, 10 day, 10 days before full gear. Um, so 10 days out. What's your feel? What's your feel for that match? Um, I think Paige has to win. Um, and yeah, I think, uh, I think, uh, I think it'll be solid. What, what are you thinking? I mean, I think I, I don't know. I'm not as hyped for it as I should be. If I'm perfectly honest. I think, I think you'll be excited. I, I, like, I understand that. I think that you'll be excited for, like, once it's like, oh, like, Kenny Omega versus Adam Page is about to happen. You kind of like, you know, like sometimes when you watch wrestling and you're like oh i don't know what's gonna happen you kind of get that like weird nervous feeling as if it's like a real thing you're like oh like hey i really don't know what's what's about to happen and i think it'll be a thing that kind of like sets in once uh both guys are coming out and um about to wrestle but i think i'm with you i think i feel like hangman is hangman is gonna win here um or the hangman should win here Oh man, sorry. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, like real glowing endorsement of uh, of dynamite and full gear. Fuck man, but, I mean, th- that's the perfect way to put it. Like honestly, that yawn is the perfect way to explain this. Kenny Omega as the champion is the thing in AEW that I think about the least. When you mentioned that match and if, uh, how I'm feeling going into it, I I have almost nothing to say. I just don't. I don't care. Kenny is fucking boring. I don't care about Kenny as champion. This run has not been good. And Hangman is fine, but I'm like ready for him to just win the title and move on. Yeah, I, I feel I feel the same way. I think that like either way or uh or da- or Danielson winning, I feel like those I feel like those are both really good first programs uh for Page coming out of uh coming out of, coming out of winning the title. Um 
But yeah, I can't, but yeah, like, it, it sucks to say like I'm not excited for it, but at the same time, I have no reason to think that it won't be a great match either. Sure, that's fair. That's fair. The match will definitely deliver. Um, it sucks because it does feel like we were we were there. We were hot coming off of their tag team, and the in, the stuff in between them right there like felt hot and interesting and emotional. And it just feels like there's been this long lull in between, and they haven't built me back up to where I'm excited again. So, whatever. Um, follow this up. This is where I actually started paying or I. T- turned the show on. I will say actually started paying attention. Yeah, this is where I turned the show on live because I actually watched this live uh, the other night. Um, CM Punk comes out, cuts a promo, uh, basically touches on everything. He kind of teased on Twitter that he would be going after Orange Cassidy tonight, but mentions I'm not taking that spot. Calls Kingston out for Rampage. I've I'm receiving mixed reports on if uh, if it's a match on Rampage or if it's a face to face. I, don't, I think it's a face-to-face. Yeah, I don't think it's a match. No, the match is not set just yet. Um, so, yeah, we've got that coming up. Uh, uh, more great. Oh, man. I, I, I want to see that. I want to see that so yeah, bad. me too. But, uh, you know, what do you think of the, the, the punk promo and the, uh, I guess, the fallout a little bit here? No, I'm... This is what we were talking about with CM Punk. I think that if you give me a prolonged punk versus Eddie Kingston program... You can only you you can like it's only going to go well. There's no bad scenario, no bad outcome when it when it when it comes to that. That is can only produce magic. So when we when we get the match, whether it's going to be a dynamite match, a rampage match, or added to full gear, whatever. But like Punk versus Kingston and these two just like going at it with their huge personalities and just taking these jabs at each other i'm all for yeah definitely i hope that they give this something and as you said kingston falling through the cracks i think definitely not if we focus on a kingston punk feud which could be could basically be the engine of the of aew for a few months if that's like the main feud in the company for a while um follow this up a match i know you want to talk about i know you you are just itching to get into because you were i saw you uh definitely talking up ftr here um, FTR versus Arrow Boy and uh, Samurai Del Sol. And after this, we will not continue uh, basically just doing a full-on AEW Dynamite report because I realized we've kind of fallen into that and we did not mean to. Um, but oh yes, this will not be. This will not. This will not continue. Yeah, but to, um, I know you wanted to talk about this. No, match. this was this. No, this was good. Like this was this was really fun. I enjoyed seeing Samurai Del Sol um, and Arrow Star here. Arrow Star fucking powerbomb himself which is always the the, the risky run uh with aerostar matches but it was it was good to see samurai del sol and i would like to see him get a little bit more stuff to do maybe like a matt seidel match or lee moriarty or whatever and just um like give him, give him some more shots because I, th- I still think he can be like a very serviceable guy but ftr my point with ftr tim has been what the whole time yeah that these guys need a fucking crowd they can't be wrestling in, in in you know no crowd. This is a psychology work the crowd old school southern style tag team, and the COVID no crowd no fans has been the worst possible thing for them, and uh, and they proved it here. Like you said, you got apt underdog baby faces who could do some flashy stuff for them to cheat and beat the shit out of on, and uh, and obviously it delivered and the crowd goes nuts. So. You were right. I think I was pretty much with you there, but uh, just to reiterate to everyone, Quentin was correct. Ring the bell if you're at home. Play the play the game. Take a drink. 
Quentin was right again. <laughs> no, um, and I am really interested. I'm really excited to see um what Lucha Bros versus FTR looks like. I I think that could be really really good. So that honestly, out of everything on Full Gear, that is probably the most the match I'm most excited for. From being honest, yeah, yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah, them them going at it. It'll be. It'll definitely be really solid. Um, after this, tons of promo stuff. The you know top team versus inner circle. Don't really care too much about this. Um, Jamie Hader versus Anna J match. That's pretty across the board panned uh, and kind of rightfully so. And then the MJF Darby segment, which I thought was really fucking good. Um, I thought that this was a big time money segment and I find it very interesting because I saw people basically saying that this was a pretty bad episode or at least I saw Jamesy claiming that this was a bad episode of dynamite that was saved by the, a good main event. And I honestly think that like something like this segment was pretty good. So there was, I don't think that everything in here was bad, but, uh, but yeah, the, uh, MJF no, Darby segment. It's not a, it's not a bad, it's not, it's not a bad episode at all. Like this is a good, like this is a really good segment. The Darby versus MJF stuff has like been good the whole time. I've enjoyed every bit of like the build up, the build up there. Andrade versus Cody was like pretty good too. I thought I I, I enjoy I enjoyed that, and then Miro versus Orange in the main event was was real was really good. So I, I don't I don't know like I, I I enjoy Dynamite this week. It's not like the best Dynamite I've ever seen, but there was like there was a couple segments that I enjoyed. I enjoyed the Punk promo. I enjoyed the Darby MJF segment. Um... And I enjoyed three of the three of the matches on the episode a lot. So yeah, I would definitely wouldn't call the call this a bad dynamite episode whatsoever. Yeah. Well, we can't uh, we can't leave this without getting into Tim's Cody corner for a second because I do have to talk a little bit about the Cody and Andrade match. I agree with you, really good match. The finish and the stuff, the 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 kind of outside interference, the over the top stuff was very ridiculous but he is you know his father's son cody is his father's son so the hoot the dog and pony show and the hoot nanny is gonna be part of cody as much as he can get it in there so ridiculous the stuff is just jumbled and there's you know too much to it but the match itself nuts and bolts was phenomenal and one thing i want to point out as i continue to talk about cody's master work and the guy just being so ridiculous in, in his psychology you tell me that in this match andrade was not working as a subtle baby face Stuff like doing the three amigos, like, come on, he's looking to get fucking cheered. Everyone knows that Eddie Guerrero spot. That's a big time, you know, babyface spot. Going for the figure four to to pay homage to Ric Flair, like, that's a fucking babyface spot. Like, throughout this match, Andrade was working babyface spots. I'm sorry, you can say whatever you want about Cody, but, uh, like, they are not stupid enough to have a heel be going out here with with Cody, and he's working all of these babyface spots and not have it be at least in, somewhat intentional. So, yeah, I just I I just want to point that out again that I think that Cody again he's a he's a crypto heel as much as he says he's not turning heel, and as much as people think that oh the crowd just doesn't like him, like clearly there are there was stuff in here that was meant to get Andrade over as a babyface. Uh, even if just in the match and then you know you do the post match whatever um so yeah fall like you said finish it out miro and orange great stuff here playing off the the injury to to orange cassidy obviously orange cassidy's character in general is great and 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 uh 
Miro just looking dominant and violent. Danielson was good on commentary. Like, yeah, this was this was a really good episode of Dynamite, as you mentioned. Um, I, I think it's crazy to say that it was a bad episode. Was there some stuff that was not perfect? For sure. We both disliked the Kenny Omega opening stuff, but I think really after you get past the Kenny Omega stuff in the beginning, and it's really just the match, everything else was really solid. So, so yeah. Um... All right, so out of, coming out of our inten- unintentional yes. uh, dynamite review, uh, I didn't get to see Onita versus Tremont from H two O. So if you want to do that, uh, do that for a oh. second before we uh, there's not talk some DK. There's not much to say. I mean, I would definitely recommend checking it out, but it's a it's a cluster. I mean, it is bad. Like, I I literally rewinded and rewatched the opening few segments like five or six times because I kept getting confused. Like, why it was that Tremont was on the ground selling so fast. But it was because, like, Oneda, like, jumped him. But, like, he barely did anything to jump him. And then Tremont was just on the ground selling. Um, and then that was basically the story of the whole match. It's just a lot of Tremont selling. A lot of Tremont just pouring blood. Um, the explosions were fucking sick. The fire was great. The There was, like, this one light tube bundle that you could... I, I don't know how they gimmicked it, but there was something in the light tube bundle, so when he hit it, it exploded with a gigantic, like, ball of fire. I didn't see... Yeah, that, look, that looked insane. Yeah, there might have been some kind of cord or something connected to it that I just couldn't quite see, or there was, like, a, a touch explosives inside, but it was nuts. That was, like, really cool. But, yeah, I mean... This is a checkout if you just want to see a big crazy spectacle, but it's not a fucking... It's nowhere near how good the match could have been even, like, three years ago, four years ago. But, like, it was... uh, They definitely pulled it off. And all the people, you know, saying, oh, my God, I can't believe they were able to do this when AEW failed it so bad. It's like, yeah, AEW's biggest mistake, and it's very clear watching this, AEW's biggest mistake was trying to make everything look too good. Like, having it in a bright, lit arena does not work. If you want to do a big match like this... Ding, it's got to be dingy it should be dark outside is perfect and uh just tons and tons of smoke that's the biggest lesson it the, the explosions don't have to be gigantic there doesn't even have to be a ton of fire but you need a bunch of smoke because that's what like kind of tricks people and just thinking that there was a major big explosion so hey there you go uh check it out whatever um ddt d king is off to a rip roaring start did you watch the full show I only watched the tournament matches. Okay. I mean, actually, no. I watched. Um, I watched the uh, uh, Brooks and Parker versus uh, Shuma and Mal the, match. I watched that. Death. Yeah, I. Uh, there's a couple tag matches that are decent on the undercard, but nothing much. Um, uh, Yoshimura and the Bodyguard versus uh, Sasaki and MJ Paul. It was is decent. Um, I'm really liking where Yoshimura is right now. I talked about him kind of coming into his own and i'm really loving the way he's developing um so yeah i'd recommend checking that out but yeah otherwise not much that tag team the, the like deathmatch tag team match what did you think of that because i thought it was fine but those big plastic tubs i don't know why i just can't get into them i don't think of them as like that big of a thing they probably hurt like hell but it just it's ne- they're never impressive to me yeah um no like those things we be like will cut you will cut you up sure. so like I'm 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 usually fine and I'm pretty in, pretty into them. The what the way in which they got used didn't really maximize them. I don't think, but they're 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 a fun like little pl- like plunder thing. I enjoyed the uh, the fuck the fuck you shooting my board. Yeah, that Brooks the the Brooks pulled out with all the with all the forks. Um, and 
Yeah, I, I thought it, I thought it was really fun. I thought that um, Mao did some Mao did some really creative stuff using using the tubs and everything. Drew Parker um, took a fucking dart through his like through the side of his mouth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, like obviously, obviously we've seen like the syringe used before. Don't say, I, don't, I don't think I've seen a, a dart get used, but. Right. I, I, so I found so I found the dart really interesting. But it was it was a fun match. Yeah, I've seen people just throw darts into people's backs before, but yeah, through the mouth was definitely definitely a new one. Um, and they do he does do some of the dartboard in the back thing. Uh, but yeah, you gotta gotta talk about former uh, GCW Ultraviolent and uh, BJW Deathmatch uh, champion Drew Parker here uh, bringing that bringing that violence. This was. This was pretty fucking nuts for a DDT deathmatch, you know what I mean? Like you said, the darts and uh, yeah, and the, the 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 boards with the um, with the forks and yeah, this this got pretty pretty gnarly. Um, it was, sol- it was solid stuff for sure. Um, for the tournament itself, first match of the two thousand and one D King is Hiroshima versus uh, Higuchi, uh, Kazusada Higuchi. Uh, obviously we're both big fans of his and, uh, big fan of him in this match. Quentin, what did you think? Oh, a tremendous match. Um, they, these, these two usually have really good matches. If you want to trace that back all the way, like 2016, these guys have like always had really good, ma- really good matches together. I loved Higuchi selling and Hiroshima's leg work. And then you build it up and we're getting the uh the chops and the kicks um each one each you know person doing their respective strike and there's some really cool stuff like uh, the way Higuchi caught uh Hiroshima Somato and just threw him down and everything I was I was really into it all this stuff revolving around the brain claw and the brain claw brain claw slam and Hiroshima's ways to avoid it and the struggle for uh for for Higuchi to get it on I, I liked all of that and I was pleasantly surprised by Higuchi picking up the win Oh, Tim, are you there? There we go. I was muted. I apologize. Um, okay. So, great. I thought great knee work from Hiroshima. Uh, great knee selling from Higuchi throughout. I thought that, again, the stuff you talked about with the brain claw was perfect. Brain slam finishing. And I thought that this was a start of a really good first night for setting things up in the story that you're telling. Because as you said, Higuchi comes out of here looking good. Um, and hopefully builds continues to build off of this. Um, and they kind of talked about that i guess they talked about that somewhat in the post-match kind of scrums or whatever they do because i was looking up the uh, dramatic ddt thing this next match i would say unfortunately was the weakest of the first night opening here uh at least for me um indo versus higuchi um or not higuchi what am i talking about <laughs> tetsuya indo versus yuji hino um i i have to apologize for that one um, to the big scary <laughs> Yuji Hino, I don't want him to hear me calling him Higuchi there. Um, basically, like the story of the match from what I picked up, like I said, following up on uh, dramatic DDT, and you can see it here, but I didn't think of it directly because I just didn't. It didn't cross my mind. Is Tetsuya Endo, if I guess coming in, if he can pull off the torture rack bomb here, so he worked around attempting to get it. Um, 
basically Tetsuya Endo just trying to weather the storm of the big man and see if he can outlast him by tiring him out really felt like kind of the uh the story of the match as it went through he does eventually pick up Hino for the um for the torture rack bomb but it doesn't get him the win which I thought is a very interesting way to do that story you know you build up to it and then it doesn't end up paying off um so you know whatever uh kind of get some fucking bomb teases and uh but never i don't think ever a, a kick out so um i think that that's uh definitely a good job protecting hino there and kind of telling the story that you're telling uh endo basically the underdog throughout ends up getting kind of a sneaky win with the pin cradle um and like i said probably the weakest for me but part of that is endo i mean i don't know what it is but at some point a, a switch really flipped with me and i just i i just don't care about endo the way i used to and i just for me he's always like the weakest of the the you know the the, the top i don't know is there like a top four is there a big four of ddt but you know in that that top guy conversation in ddt endo is always the one that i'm the least invested in but what did you think of the match no i'm uh i'm right there with you i thought this was the weakest tournament match of the um of the night, I still thought it was a good match. Um, I, I really did like the 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 pace the pace of it, and enjoyed Hino's control and everything. Endo can be really bland and plain sometimes, uh, depending on who he's matched up with. And Yuji Hino, despite his big personality, he's not someone that like makes someone else interesting when they're wrestling him, like some like some other people are capable of, but. This is this was still good. I I still enjoyed it for the most part. It's not like a total like uh dud or anything for me. But definitely the weakest match the weakest um match of the tournament. And like I think perennially when I go through like the history of D Kings or even like King of DDTs, I'm never usually very high on like Endo's tournament runs, I don't think. Yeah, that's probably pretty that's probably pretty spot on. I think he does not Endo does not shine in a tournament setting because he does his matches tend to not have a lot of like building psychology and depth that give you much of a payoff like going over the course of a tournament like other people do where they tell you a story throughout the tournament and that point that you made about Hino is pretty interesting because yeah like he he's a guy that kind of like if you don't stand up to him personality wise he kind of just steamrolls you he does not like bring other people up to his level he just kind of like outshines them and that's it um, so yeah, that's a good, that's a good one here. Um, this next match I thought was perfect, like for a opening night match and for the story that it was telling, I just, I fucking loved this. Uh, Ueno playing like the plucky new, the white meat baby face going up against the grumpy old timer, um, who's definitely got his number when it comes to, to, you know, to, uh, experience size strength you know all of that but ueno is just younger faster quicker um i love the rope break with the big smack to really set it off and then june just takes it to him fucking just completely pissed off about being disrespected by this motherfucker just beats him pillar to post i mean the 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 textbook definition of beating him pillar to fucking post this shit was brutal um and Ueno sells it. Ueno's an amazing seller. Like, great high flyer, great, uh, you know, on, on in control, but becoming a really good underdog babyface seller to, to match to where he, I do see him making it to that top level 
and becoming like a you know the next big thing here in DDT. Um, and you could just see it here. And I thought that uh, June did a really good job of of making that. And June, the seriousness that he treated him with, the big moves that he you know gave Ueno to kick out of the the aggression, all of that made it made it even more um, you know respecting Ueno in the big fight um, to just have Ueno kind of end up laughing off a headbutt to to play to then hit this gigantic amazing looking drop kick i thought that that was really a key moment in the match for again like i said presenting ueno as a this is going to be a guy type of guy um there and uh and then yeah you know obviously picking up the win for ueno here um and coming out of it with june kind of Kind of a little bit shocked, but definitely not a shock finish. Definitely not compared to the match before. A, a clear, you know, Ueno won this clean. Ones this was the better man, but you, but June was just kind of like, what the fuck? Like I thought I had this guy's number the whole way through, um, but just was not able to uh, to outlast. So yeah, that was uh, that was my kind of take on this. What did you think of it, Quinn? Loved it. I thought. Um, did you notice how in the beginning? Um, Ueno kind of had this, like, real, like, shit-eating, like, grin on his face. Like, almost, like, antagonistic towards Akiyama. And then Akiyama clearly just beats the sh- ever-living shit out of him for, uh, for the, uh, for the majority of the match. I really like I really liked, um, Ueno's facial expressions and, like, tenacity and selling and babyface fire here. And that's his, bi- that's his best calling card. That's his, uh, that's his thing. That's the thing that's, like made him a breakout star in DDT and is making him a future, uh, like a guy that can be like, um, a top guy in DDT in the future. But yeah, I, I, I love this. Um, I'm not sure if I, if I like it more than Hiroshima versus versus Gucci, but they're right about on the same level for me. I really, I really, I really enjoyed, um, both of those. And I think that Akiyama, um, if he, if he can keep having matches like this, like, you know, it's kind of like, this is really his thing. This, his warehouse is just like these like brutal knees and this control and everything that he's, uh, that he did here versus Ueno. If you can get more of that, um, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised to see, um, Akiyama be the, uh, and be the, be the MVP of the tournament. Yeah. Would that basically be two years in a row of Akiyama being the MVP of the tournament? I mean, shit. This, he had a fucking phenomenal D King last time. So, um, it would not be uh it would not be a crazy thing to see happen here again um but yeah and and great you know again really good points there when you talk about UNO but as i pointed out like i i think i think his selling is is catching up with his his fighting kind of his plucky fiery fireworks kind of babyface stuff that's what made him stand out i think he's he's a he's also going to quickly become a really good underdog seller um which he exampled here between the two matches i think that's a tough call like you said i i don't know i think i i would pretty firmly go with higuchi Hiroshima as liking that one more but i'm also i'm never not gonna love higuchi as much as i do i mean he's just my guy i'm like bonded to him and i always will be um so then we get to the main event of the evening we've got uh yuji okabayashi big time uh, outsider freelancer i guess I don't even know what the fuck is going on with uh, Big Japan at this point. Um, if they really even exist, I guess probably still technically. Um, but uh, you know, outside. Well, speaking of speaking of big, big speaking of Big Japan, did you see Takuya Nomura versus Daisuke Sakimoto? Oh, you mentioned that. Yeah, um, I the, have not seen it yet. Yeah, you, you, you really, you, you definitely should out. go back and watch it. You'll, you'll, you're gonna love it. 
I have watched like no Big Japan in probably like six months, something like that. The last thing I saw was like an astronaut's tag that I can barely remember um, at this point. But yeah, uh, I will definitely go check that out. Um, but Okabayashi here representing Big Japan, going up against the the champion, kind of the ace, Kanosuke Takashida. Um, Quentin, what were your uh, what were your takeaways on this one? So if you look at like D King history, a guy like Yuji Okabayashi like is like just part of like the track record of um, of D King at this point. Um, so when you see Takashida and Okabayashi in the same block, like it becomes like really like you know it becomes a big match. It's like oh, okay, like this will be telling to see like what will be the plan for like is is Okabayashi gonna win? Uh, is he just gonna be a guy in the tournament? We'll see. Um, and these guys just, they went out there and they had a, they had a tie. Went 30 minutes. And it's good. It's good action. It's two great pro wrestlers and like they do everything well, but like it just felt really plain. It felt like they're, they were going, th- they like they were supposed to go 30. So like they just like did it and like nothing about it ever really reeled me in. Again, it's a shame because I think that these are both phenomenal wrestlers. And I've seen Takashita work an hour-long match, and I've been super invested in it. I've seen Yujakabayashi work 30-minute draws in the past before, and I've gotten and I've, and I've gotten into them. This one just didn't like click for me, click with me for for whatever reason. It's just like a bunch of um, just a lot of just a lot of sizzle, and it didn't really reel me in. Like you get all the big forearms and German suplexes and dropping on heads, and there's a brainbuster on the floor and all this stuff, but none of it quite reeled me in. And I'm hopeful for a possible rematch between the two. I think that Okabayashi uh, tying with Takashita here seems pretty indicative that Okabayashi is probably going to win the tournament. Um, and like again, if, if that's the if that's gonna if that's the case, I think that those two have a better match in them. They're both great wrestlers, and I I, I would have to think that those two can have a better have a better match, but. I was a little disappointed by this. It went. It felt like it was going thirty because it had to go thirty, and it didn't feel earned. It didn't feel like any real struggle or battle of attrition. It just felt like you know these two are booked to go thirty minutes because we don't want them losing to each other right now. So here, and um, I don't know. Like you might have liked it more than might might have liked it more than me, but I'm ho- I'm holding hope that like if they have another match, that is probably that is better. I don't think I liked the match more than you. But I liked the, I think the booking more than you did. Um, so to me, while I I agree with your sentiment that it felt like they went thirty, it, the match felt like they're going thirty because they had to, or because that was the match was going thirty, right? It was a time limit draw. Um, so it was not, it was not earned in the work. But I felt like the the booking kind of justified the ends justify the means kind of situation where it makes a lot of sense, especially for the opening night, because I think you come in out here and you've got Yuji Okabayashi coming out, who's the big Japan guy. He's the golem. He's, you know, presented as this crazy, you know, muscle beast. And he's coming out here against the ace of the company who I talked about, who is over the last like, uh, oh God, it's what's not DK King of DDT. A tournament where they really started to transition and position him as this like big strong powerhouse kind of wrestler and you come out here and he's taller than Okabayashi and he's close to the same fucking thickness as him uh frame wise so you're just like okay like the big monster outsider is you know smaller than the the, the champion ace 
um, and like close to the same size as him in a lot of ways, right? So it's a challenge, but it's a it's kind of a crazy first night challenge for both guys. And so it makes sense that they go the distance because now not only do you have a story for why the big monster outsider is fucking worn out for the rest of the tournament because he went 30 minutes with the champion, you've got the same story for the champion. He's worn out for the whole tournament because he opened up the first night going up against the big monster outsider. So I just, I really thought that's a perfect way to open the tournament and not necessarily something that instantly crosses your mind to do, but I think definitely helps to really present the story going forward. Like these guys took each other to the limit in the first night. Nobody else came close to going this long, right? 16 minutes, the other two matches and one is like 10 minutes. Like, so these guys went 30 minutes on the first night against each other. They beat the shit out of each other. They're both two big, bad motherfuckers. And just like nobody else is really going to end up having this kind of challenge at all throughout the tournament, let alone like on the first night. So that's to me like a really good storytelling. And I talked about it last year with the D-King, how, how DDT, for all it's worth and for all the shit that people talk and you got stuff on the undercard like pheromones, which is like, I'm sorry, one of the worst fucking things going in wrestling. I don't know if you've catched any of this pheromone stuff, but I fucking hate it. It's like, I've never been like one of these people who can't stand Dino, but I cannot stand this group for some reason. It just really pisses me off. Um, but like DDT, when they're booking this D King tournament or the, yeah, the, the DO tournament, the Grand Prix, they, uh, they just somehow tell these fucking phenomenal stories throughout the entire tournament that is so much better, um, for doing a round robin tournament than anyone else is doing right now. So to me, this setup for where everything else is going has me super excited because i'm just like okay i definitely see this going somewhere now you got the the big monster outsider you've got the the big fucking badass champion and they took each other to the limit on the first night and what how, what does that do to them throughout the rest of the tournament so i'm super excited for that as we said the match itself good executed well but i want to see i want to see this match given you know longer hour time limit for the championship on a big stage, you know, on a pay-per-view with a giant crowd and felt built up like it's something important. And while this is the main event and it is important, it is also, you know, in a round-robin tournament with a 30-minute time limit. And uh, it's, it's cut off, but, you know, still, I thought, executed fine. Storytelling on point. Very excited f- to see where we go from here. And that's kind of where I come out of it. So I'm with you that I didn't love the match necessarily, but I did. I'm really excited to see where it goes. Um, so, but pretty much it, like, I'm like, I'm looking, I'm looking for, I'm looking forward and looking ahead through, uh, the rest of the dates. So I'm looking, I think that like, that, like, again, Okabayashi tying with Takashita there is like pretty indicative that I think Okabayashi's gonna win the tournament. Was that, was that, does that feel fair? Yeah, that definitely seems likely. Um, if nothing else, I think he definitely makes it to the block final for the B block, which is a bummer because that takes out my man. Uh, cause I do, I'm, I'm perennially just like, a just like Evan, just like soccer Evan in the chat, um, I uh, am perennially begging for uh, Higuchi to win something. Well, my well, well, my well, my idea is that I feel like I think Higuchi is going to be knocked out of contention by the time the final night happens because his final night opponent is Takashita. Um, yeah, and um, uh, it's Harashima versus Yuji. Um, that, yeah. that so night. he'll probably play spoiler on the final night. He'll basically spoil Takashita's chance to, uh, 
which is good because that means he'll probably get the win over Takashita to spoil his chance to win the B block and uh you know basically that can set up a title match for Higuchi but again it probably won't mean anything because he probably won't win the title yeah so that's that's what I'm seeing there and I I think ultimately what I want I would like a Okabayashi versus Ueno final I think that that's uh what I'm oh, I yeah. think that's what I'm calling for here I think that stylistically it's a great matchup I think it's the kind of matchup that gets Ueno that gets Ueno over um just being just being involved in something like that and um yeah i that that's the final that um i think i'm predicting yeah i could definitely i'm definitely into that um now i'm trying to think okay because they were in the the shuffle tag uh okabayashi and harashima won i'm trying to remember if ueno interacted with uh okabayashi either way um that could definitely be a really kick-ass final um and uh yeah i think that they were in the final together actually um or against each other either way um that doesn't really matter that much for this story but there's you know just a little bit of teasing there there could be some history that goes into the yeah they were uh they were in the final together um so definitely play off of them having been in the finals of a tournament with each other just recently last year but you know the end of the year december and then again here um they're in the finals against each other again uh, so yeah that's definitely something you could play off of that be that would be the best i think stylistic fight between the two blocks for the final um and oh mentioning that i could have sworn i saw something that said that like uh this year the shuffle ch- tag is going to be a trios did you see that do you remember no this? i don't remember i don't remember that i could have sworn i remember that that's pretty exciting but we'll see that in in december either way I think that me and you have probably booked uh, just about the best possible outcome for the tournament there with that being the final and probably with Okobayashi winning and then you get the rematch of this opening round match like you said. So, um, Excited to continue to watch and follow up with D-King because I think that there is plenty of, uh, uh, plenty of uh, you know, good matches and good stuff that's going to continue on. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, the one, the one, this, yeah, this is the one round, round robin tournament that you, that you actually like keep up with. Yeah, exactly. This is like the one to pay attention to. I really enjoy it. Yeah, Ueno versus Bodyguard. That's exciting. Um, yeah, there's there's a ton of uh, a ton of great matchups here. Ooh, Higuchi versus Okobayashi. That's gonna happen. Like, there's a ton of stuff to watch here. Um, Chris Brooks, like I just mentioned, Bodyguard and Chris Brooks both had buys or nights off uh, on this night. They worked in tag team matches, but uh, they were not in the tournament yet. But you got them still ready to mix it up in the tournament oh um, god Ma- like Ma- mal mal versus okabayashi one. sounds pretty good <laughs> Ooh. yeah yeah i got a lot of a uh, lot of really good matchups still to come here um but yeah i think that's about it for me quentin do you have any other uh things you want to talk about uh, no um i'm good uh i guess we'll like we'll probably come back and like talk some more talk some more d king next week and Maybe do like a maybe like more ex, more in depth full gear preview. Maybe we'll see. I know that I know I know Hot Sauce is wrestling right. Uh, maybe I think just finished up wrestling on Uncharted Territory right now. So maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll revisit oh, that yeah. and like give that give that a little bit of light next week. Yeah, there's a little bit of Uncharted Territory stuff that's been happening recently that's worth checking out for sure. But uh, I think is this. Hot Sauce, Tracy Williams versus Matt Mikowski. What the fuck? Now, that's a match to yeah. check out, right? Um, 
so yeah, definitely want to see that. Um, but either way, like you said, I think we're good. Uh, Quentin, feel free to send the people out for right. Well, uh, thank you all for listening, and hope you're here with us next time. I just lost my cousin, left his body on sight Now who can I talk to when things ain't right? Tryna get these demons out my head like pro lights Step on the floor with my daughter, damn I remember them cold nights Never could I ever swap deals with the devil Show no love for no hope, nah I keep a rose gold extender on my Glock when I hop in that ghost. Yeah. Bricks are tense till I lose my mind. I wish I could see Catherine one more time. I got a pack of yeah, yeah. Don't care. Yeah. I'm smoking strong. I don't need.